Hey, Christopher, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So I want to start out, um, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Florida, or, and what was your, what was your um, growing up and your family like growing up? I actually grew up in California, um, Southern California, like West Hills, Willow Hills to be exact, um, Southern California. No, exactly. Um, beautiful out there. Yep. Um, but my dad was in aerospace, um, so he worked for NASA, Boeing, Rocketdyne, all that good stuff. And uh, basically, his uh, his area shut down um, in Canoga Park in California, so he decided mm-hmm. to move to Florida, where he met my stepmom, which is an amazing woman, Sandy Morales. I, I love her to death. Um, mm-hmm. So I came out here, um, graduated high school, Cocoa Beach High, um, really didn't get into the cooking um, so much. It was kind of like, you know, hey, mom, can I get 20 bucks? And then she said, yeah, here's 20 bucks, but uh, you're going to get yourself out and you're going to get a job. Oh, wow. Um, so out here, basically went to McDonald's, first job for every high school student, you know, $16 or 16 years old. Okay. Right. Minimum wage, flipping burgers and those gray meat discs, stay away from them. They're, they're, they're bad for you. They're horrible for you. I'm sorry. The what? Um, the gray meat, those little gray meat discs that they call meat, just, they're just having to, having to see like, no, no, just. The bread's good, but I don't even know if it's bread. <laughs> so I started out there. I started out at McDonald's, um, and, you know, to me, it was it was a job. It was, you know, money in my pocket for spending money, you know, et cetera. Right. Um, and then I actually got a job. My first job at uh, – my next job was a dishwasher in a fine dining resort. Um, it's called The Water Grill, also in Cocoa Beach. Um, it was, it was super fine dining. It was high end. It was, it was what I perceived to be fine dining and high end at the time. Hmm. I was, you know, 17 washing dishes, but every time that my dish machine and my area was always clean, cause I'm very particular, like my mise en place, which is, you know, what I now know what everything needs to be in place. Everything was always clean. Dishes were always stacked. Um, I kept looking over, you know, looking over at the chef, looking over at the line, Garmanger. Uh, you know, them decorating plates and garnishing, and, and I, I fell in love. Nice. And uh, from there, it was kind of, you know, the chef took notice, and he says, hey, you want to you wanna do fryer one night? I'm like, yeah, I'll do fryer. Fryer was kind of more for the pool, more for the, uh, the outside. We had a pool there, and it, oh, was, okay. it was a beautiful resort. Uh, it was a timeshare resort, so it, it was people with high, high money, you know, high dollars. And, right, right. Um. You know, just kind of worked my way up, found out, you know, I love to cook. I like that hustle and bustle, that, that always needing to do something, always staying busy. Um, even if it was fried, even if it was frying chicken tenders, you know, I made sure my chicken tenders were beautiful and yeah. what I thought was beautiful at 17. Right. Um, so then I worked my way up, you know, you, you know, Garmanger and, and, you know, Excel. Then I went to saute. And then he put me on grill and absolutely loved it. I mean, my grill was probably an eight, 10-foot grill, okay. uh, wood-burning. Wood burning, which was beautiful. That's yeah. why I only like to use wood burning grills now. <laughs> um, and you know, finally, by the time I was 18, I was actually uh, executive sous chef. Wow. Um, you know, I didn't really know too much about cost and about how to make money off of off of a dish. You know, I didn't know about labor, didn't know about overhead. It was just cooking the dish and whatever the chef told me to do. I would create things little here and there. Nothing like now, obviously, right. um, but it was, it was just, you know, I loved it. And unfortunately, um, the, the business went under. Um, I, I, I saw the business, you know, deteriorating to just burgers and, and, you know, 
fajitas or something. And uh, I said, all right, that's enough, you know. And then I, I, I went moved to the front of the house, um, completely took myself out of, out of the chef position or executive sous chef and, and said, okay, well, I want to learn about front of the house. Um, and, and got some serving jobs here and there where the money is a lot better than being a chef. I mean, you come in, (laughs) you come in from, you know, five to 10 or four to 11 or whatever it is. And you make pretty much double what a chef makes. But on the other hand, you have to deal with the guests and me personally, it's, you know, I'm one of those straight shooters. So it's kind of hard, you know, bite my tongue, bite my tongue, bite my tongue. And, you know, from there I I moved back to California after being in Florida for a couple of years. Um, Moved back there, uh, really started wanting to become a chef, wanting to, to you know, hone my skills because I got a taste of it mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and absolutely fell in love with, with just the whole area of, of being a chef. Be, not even just being a chef, being, being part of something, whether it's, you know, back a house or just the way the restaurant ran. I loved it. it, it you know, all the things that people don't normally see, mm-hmm. what goes on is, is, is what I fell in love with, you know how to break down a chicken eight ways, how to make your stocks, how to make your gloss devion, how to, how to take these cheap cuts of meat or these cheap bones, which now people are charging for these bones, which they right. never did, right. and, you know, making something spectacular of, uh, out of it. Um, so I went out there. I, I couldn't find a proper fit for me um, where, you know, I wanted to learn because I'm one of those chefs that even if I'm an executive chef, I want to learn from my sous chef. I want to learn from my chef de cuisine right. um, because three, four, five minds working is better than just one saying, oh, it's going to be this way or no way. Right. So I couldn't really find an exact like niche out there if you want to call it for me. Uh, so I, I went to front of house and I, I became a bartender, uh, bartending down in gas lamp in San Diego. Hmm. Very, very good money. Very good. Hours were kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd go in at like six or seven at night. And knock it out till four in the morning. So it was it was a, a little bit of a change. Yeah, big. Um, but but I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the bartending aspect of it because a a, a a patron at a at a bar is different than a patron you know sitting at a table. Every every guest is different. Yeah. So you kind of got to read the guest uh, whether they're sitting at a bar having a, a cocktail or having a Jameson meat. You know, everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Some people like to be you know you know, messed with and joked with. Some people are like, give me my food, give me my drink, and leave me alone. Right. So I, I met this girl, um, and she was from this area called 29 Palms, California. For all the Marines out there, they'll know exactly where it's at. Palm Springs, baby, yep, out there. Palm Springs, yep, just, just above Palm Springs. So you uh-huh. take the 62 up. Uh, 29 Palms had a population of, uh, minus the Marine base, probably... 10,000, 15,000 people? If that, yeah. If that. I'm including the lizards, the turtles, and all that stuff that <laughs> walked across go. the road. Because really it's a um, nice environment to live in. It, it is, it is. And I actually found a restaurant out there, which was, which was crazy. You know, I, it was called Bistro 29. Um, I, was, I was just a line cook because, you know, out there, they're like, you're 20 years old, 19 years old. You don't really know much about, you know, cooking. You know, I've done short order cooks. I've done you know, uh, the, the water grill, like I said, but it was only, you know, a short period of time. Right, right. So I had this guy, Chef Paul. Um, chef Paul was, was an amazing chef. He was, you know, he was talented. He taught you. He didn't just yell at you. you but you knew if you messed up. Right. It, it would be, this is how it's done. 
this is why it's done like this, and this is the way I want it produced every time. So from there, it was, it was great working with him, um, but he ended up leaving probably about seven or eight months um, to go abroad, and he actually took his sous chef with him. Oh, wow. So they, I was actually just about to go to Le Cordon Bleu um, down there. I want to say it was in Palm Springs, the one that I was looking at. I think it's in Palm Springs. Don't quote me on that. Okay. Um, I started looking into it, um, you know, $50,000 for, uh, you know, for a degree for a two-year. Um, it kind of seemed pretty steep. Yeah, I'll say. It was, it was you, know, eh, you know, I said, you know, I talked to, talked to the owners. Uh, Colleen was, was the general manager, and I said, hey, give me a shot at this. You know, I, I want to see if I can do it. You know, I can make things taste good. I could present them beautifully, but I want to learn the, the money aspect of it, the, the percentage of what my food cost should be, right. what my labor, my overhead should be. Um, and they watched every single penny go in and every single penny go out. And I ended up making a lot of money for them, which, which was great. Yeah. Um, so from there, uh, I'm sorry? That's how you're successful in the restaurant business. Yeah, you yeah. have to be. Yeah. That's the way it works, you know. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, you could, do, you, could, you could do beautiful dishes that your food cost is 50%, 60%, and you're going to be upside down in a year. And... Pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah. very, very quickly, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so from there, uh, I, I decided to open uh, another restaurant that they wanted to open, but it was actually about 300 miles away um, in, in Oceanside. Uh, it would be Bistro 39. So I ran both of them for a little bit, back and forth, back and forth. Um, it, it was a pretty cool gig. You know, I had great sous chef um, that I would close my eyes, I would turn around, they would do the same exact thing whether I was there or not. Nice. And sa same with, you know, my staff and everything. They were great. Um, so I would, you know, do like four or five days here, and then the owners had um, a, a beach, beautiful beachside, you know, oceanfront property in Oceanside that they let me stay at while I was running the restaurant in Oceanside. So it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, every five or six days. And it was magnificent. You know, I was making mm -hmm. buku dollars for being a 20 year old chef with no credentials pretty much. Right. Um, so from there, um, they decided to open up a bakery where they did all of the desserts, all of the bread, the Michelavans, the, the focaccias, the, the, the baguette, the brioche buns for our burgers. Mm -hmm. um, I had, I'm not really a, a pastry chef. I'm, I'm not very good at it. I could do the simple creme brulees and, and, and the cheesecakes, but breads, I can't really, you know, I can make them proof. I can make them rise, but I'm sure if I honed my skills on it, I'd be a little bit better yeah. um, learning different breads, uh, but I'm not that great at that. So I said, you know, take, you guys take that. I, I'll, don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll pick up the breads and we'll disperse them through, through each restaurant and, and work it like that. So it was perfectly fine. Uh, you know, I had a bad breakup with, uh, with one of my ex-girlfriends that was in 29 Palms. Um, so I decided to come back to Florida, stay with my parents for a little bit till I got on my feet uh, because all I pretty much took with me uh, was, you know, about five pairs of clothes and my Xbox 360. That was <laughs> literally it. Uh, my knives, my globals, which was my first set of knives, um, ended up staying in, in California with, you know, pretty much everything else. Oh, wow. So that, that was all gone. You know, it was pretty much a fresh start, a, a complete restart, a reset, nothing, nothing on my back. So my family, my mom and my dad, my stepmom, you're going to consider, I consider her my step, my mom. She's my stepmom, but 
she's been there for me. Okay. Um, she, you know, they took me in for a couple months, and you know, I found a job second day I was here um, at a restaurant called Silvestro's. Now Silvestro's, uh, there was it was Silvestro's before new management took over. Um, there was new owners that there was four couples, so there was eight hands always wanting to grab in the pot. Oh my god! Um, and it, it was it was pretty crazy. And the funny thing is, none of them ever owned a restaurant before. <laughs> one was like one was a dentist. One worked in oil, quote-unquote oil. He was Russian. Um, one worked in uh, dentistry, and the other one owned, like, properties, like land. So they all put in money. They were all patrons of the restaurant. They were all guests there that can, have been going in and supporting Silvestro and Tony, uh, Tony Bless for, for the time. So they decided, hey, let's, let's fork over, you know, a quarter million dollars apiece and get a part of a restaurant. So I, you know, put in my application, my resume, and uh, work just started out as, as line cook. I said, okay, you know, no problem. Uh, I worked for the chefs that uh, I, I've never seen this before. It was, it was a, 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 and I've yet to have, I've seen it again, um, a very bad coke addiction, very bad alcohol problem, very bad drug problem, which a lot of the chefs, you know, a lot of them have the, their little, you know, vices and everything, which everyone does. Right. Um, but he's, it, it was affecting his work. Um, he'd show up, you know, t half an hour, 45 minutes after service started, um, you know, wouldn't get fish, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have a prep list. We didn't really know how to run a kitchen, you know, decided to throw flour all over the kitchen, which I ended up having a cleaning one time, one day. Oh and, uh, it, it was a bad situation. Owners knew it said, Hey, you got to go. So I says, you know, let, let me step up and let me, let me take over. So, you know, it was me and this guy, Bradley Kennett, um, which, you know, we ran the kitchen and it ended up being, you know, fresh pastas. This is where I started learning, you know, fresh pastas, fresh breads, you know, oh. homemade marinaras, uh, you know, the, the real Italian, um, you know, this is how, this is how you tenderize veal properly. You know, you, we did, we got the whole top round, um, the veal of cap off. You know, we, we would pound them out, we would roll them perfectly. It, it, was, it was actually a nice experience because, you know, you see Italian food, they're a dime a dozen. You see them on every corner. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's an Olive Garden where they open up a bag and, and, and heat up a sauce or right. whether it's, you know, a, a, a little mom and pop hole in the wall in the corner of Little Italy in New York. They're all over the place. They all have their little different niches and they're all different, uh, you know, cuisines, whether it's, you know, northern Italy, southern Italy, how much acidity the tomato has, you know, what moms and, and parents influenced their sauces and their stocks and, you know, how they were brought up. So it, it was nice that this is, this is Italian, this is what we want to see. So we ended up, uh, we ended up staying there, um, and the, uh, Brad ended up leaving. Uh, so I ended up taking over for a while, and it was, it was pretty good. I had a great staff. Um, you know, one of, one of my line cooks now has his own restaurant. It's called the Tiny Turtle in Cocoa Beach this little like Caribbean fusion, which he never cooked in, in a restaurant before he was, you know, home cooking only, but he knew his food. Oh, okay. So I'm one of those, I'm one of those guys that it's like, this, this is what I want to show you. This is how you run a restaurant. This is how you, you know, profits, you know, because I ended up learning that, you know, my food cost was at 28%, which was great. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my labor cost was 19%. So I started learning, you know, how to really hone, hone down making money. Um, but it was, it was such a weird situation with having eight people always wanting to 
pull out money, pull out oh, money, pull out I, money. That had to be a nightmare, and I would think. I mean, it, it, it started getting very bad to where we weren't getting paid. Oh, wow. We, yeah, checks started bouncing like balls. Uh, you know, I, I was depositing them in, in, in my bank account, and sooner or later they would charge me money for, you know, not sufficient funds. Oh, my God. And we turned around and said, okay, well, I'll go to Publix, which is right down the street in the same shopping center. I'll right. cash my check. It'll cost me $3, but then they stopped accepting our checks because they oh. were bouncing. Goodness gracious. So that was when it was kind of my turn to say, you know, I think it's time to part ways. And, you know, I left. Um, it, it was hard leaving because it was like the first job out here where I started, you know, getting my name out there, you know, right. saying who Chef Christopher Morales was. You know, I started building, uh, you know, a, a page at, on Twitter, you know, getting my name in Florida today. I got front page a couple of times um, in local news. Uh, there's a Brevard, night, a Brevard resident where they featured a whole spread on me. Nice. Um, it, it, was, it was hard leaving that because I put, I put so much time and so much effort into, you know, building this restaurant, and people right. knew me as the chef of Silvestro's. So I kind of moved around after that. Um, you know, I, was, I worked at a private tennis club. Um, the, it, was, it was not my style. Um, the, this, the owner owned another restaurant in the downtown area. Um, which, which he served fried, you know, you know, fried food and sushi and all that. But when you're playing tennis, you don't want fried food. You want, you know, quinoa. You want grains. You right. want beans. You, you want healthy, healthy stuff. stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I proposed a menu to him. He asked me for it, and I proposed a menu, and I showed it to some of the – it was a private tennis club, but the restaurant was open to the public. Mm. But we didn't get – like, our, our sales showed that about 78% was, was from our, our uh, tennis players. Oh, okay. You know, twenty. You know, twenty-two percent of of something is 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 something, but you got to cater to those tennis players. Right. Um. So I, you know, I ended up leaving there. Um. I went to this place. It was called Trend Kitchen, which was was life changing for me because it started doing, it started teaching me sous vide, started to, teaching me gastronomy. Um. You know, molecular gastronomy is is it's hoity toity. It's pretentious, but. If you do it right, it's it's phenomenal. You know, oh, sous vide cool. is is completely. You know, a lot of these chefs do it nowadays, and and they all say, okay, well, for a medium rare steak, you know, it's 175, or I'm sorry, 75 degrees, you know, Celsius at 30 minutes, or someone might say it's 80 degrees Celsius for 60 minutes. Yeah. You know, it, it all changes. It it all differs. You know, what they put in there in their bag and what they put in there, you know, their fat and whatever. It taught me the fundamentals of how to sous vide, which I've oh. never done before. Right. So for those that don't really understand what it is and how it works, why don't you kind of break it down and explain what, it, what sous vide is to those that are listening that may not understand or know what it is. Absolutely. Sous vide, um, basically you take your protein or your vegetables. You can pretty much sous vide anything you want. I, I mean, I just got done sous vide lobster tails the other day, and they turned out flat, beautiful, tender. Um, sous vide, basically, you have an immersion circulator. Um, you can actually do this at home. Um, you can find – I use the PolyScience uh, myself. It's, it's about $199. Um, it keeps the water – I'm what, sorry? Is it like a, an, a, an, a, a tabletop appliance, if you will? That you it, it is a tabletop appliance. Um, basically, it's got a couple of motors in there that circulate the water. It's called an immersion circulator. Um, we, it, it's, it's got a, a, a thermometer in there. Basically, it keeps the water at a certain temperature, whatever you set it at. Gotcha. Um, and it basically moves the water around. And so it's, a, it, it's essentially 
poaching, but something within its own liquid. It's not confine um, because, you know, you, well, you can confine in there, but it would be a lower temperature. So basically, let's say for my filet, what I would do is I would render the, the, the fat off of other meats. Let's say a uh, New York strip. I'd take the fat cap, render that out. I would make some herb butter, some compound butter. Let's say I put some thyme, rosemary, um, you know, essence of, of herbs and spices in there. Okay. Um, take it in the bag, and then I'd put in a vacuum sealer. Um, so it takes all the air out. And for my fillets personally, uh, for an eight ounce fillet, I go at about a hundred and I do about 127, 130 degrees Fahrenheit uh -huh. for about 33 minutes. Um, take it out, take it out of the immersion circulator, and go straight ice bath. Um, you don't want to build any, you know, any botulism, any bacteria in there. So I go straight ice bath. You're going to see that the uh, the 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 fats and the butters are going to, you know congeal and, and solidify. Right. And upon pickup, you know, what I would do is, you know, they'd be sous vide off. So they'd be like cooked on the outside. Um, it would, it would, it would perceive to the, to, to the chef that it's cooked. Um, but I always go a cast iron skillet, cast iron skillet, super hot. Um, no oil, I actually dry fire my filet. Okay. Um, so, you know, I would put it back in the sous vide to kind of, you know, warm it up a little bit for five minutes and cast iron skillet and then let my meat rest. And you can do, you can do vegetables. You can do, um, you can sous vide eggs. You can sous vide, you know, they call it a 65 degree egg, which is 65 degrees Celsius, um, where it's, it's essentially poaching, um, okay. in its own, in its own juices. So and it's, it's, it's this new, what was that? No, I was going to ask, is this too, so the, the, the dining, the diner is not waiting 45 minutes or 35 minutes for their steak? Absolutely not. No. We, okay. What we do is we have a par. Um, we, we, we ended up doing a par of saying, okay, we're going to do 60 guests tonight. We have, you know, 25 fillets that we're going to sous vide off. Ice bath them. Our, our, our shelf life on a sous vide, there is no air in the sous vide. You take all that air out. Right. Um, so basically it's a par. You just dropped off. putting it in the skillet, putting it in the oven. It actually cuts down the time because it's already par-cooked. Gotcha. And I normally have like a two- to three-day shelf life on my pars. Um, you know, on my pork chops, obviously. My pork chops and my chicken, they all go in a brine. Um, so it, it is a little bit different. You know, I have to <clears> – <throat> I'm four days out on that pork chop being ready. You know, caribou to pork chops, you know, we, we brine them. I do a sweet tea brine. Um, you know, a brine essentially is – you know, salt and sugar. Uh -huh. um, but I, I do a lot of different things. You know, I put celery, carrots, onions, you know, garlic, apples, apple cider vinegar, apple juice, um, you know, cinnamon, clove, coriander, nutmeg, um, crushed red pepper, the, just everything that goes into it. And I put a couple bags of sweet of uh, tea in there. And it gives oh, this flavor. It's, it gives this pork chop just succulent flavor. It's, it's juicy. It's tender. I go about medium on my pork chops. But if the guest wants it medium well, well done. They're paying for it, not me. So. Right, right, right. Um, quick side holiday question. Do you brine your turkey for Thanksgiving? Absolutely. My turkey always yeah. goes in a brine um, for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. Oh, okay. Cool. Yep. Do I do about a four-day brine on it. Four days. Wow, that's interesting. Four days. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you rinse it off. 
Uh, you don't want any of that salt or the residual, you know, you don't want your meat salty. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So for a turkey brine, use the same ingredients as you would for pork, all the things you know. No, I, I do. I switched up a little bit. I, I do more of a lighter brine just to, just to the fact that, you know, when, when you think pork, you want, you know, apples and applesauce and cinnamon and, and you do all that. If you right. do that to a turkey, it's going to be a little bit overpowering. Well, it's going to make the gravy horrible, too. <laughs> that, that, that as well. <laughs> It'll just throw the gravy off. Well, that's good. Cool. Because mm-hmm. we, brine, we brine our turkey Thanksgiving as well, but it's pretty much just mm-hmm. salt, it's salt, honey, um, broth, and I can't think of it. I think that's it. It's pretty simple brine, but it's only like a 24-hour. I never thought about doing 24 it. 24-hour? Yeah. Yeah, I do mine about four days. I normally I normally get my turkey on on Sunday, uh, make my brine Sunday night, throw my ice cubes, um, and then by Monday morning my brine should have been cooled off, um, you know, cold, and then uh-huh. I put my turkey in until the morning of Thanksgiving. Huh? It's funny though. My wife actually showed me a, 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 a trick. She uses she told me, Chris, use these turkey bags, use these poultry bags, and I'm like, Nah, I'm not gonna use the poultry bag. I you know something bad. I use it. I use it this year. This was about four years ago, uh-huh. and uh, I used it, and it actually cuts down the time. It makes it juice. I'm like, okay, we're using the turkey bag from now on. Yeah, we, I, that's funny because we've been using a turkey bag for years, and uh-huh. I thought I think it was this year I proposed it to the wife. Said, hey, why don't we try this? Because we'll, we'll like roast a chicken in the oven without a bag around it. Yeah. Why not do the the turkey? And she's like, no, we're using the bag. So. <laughs> It's, I, I know it comes out yeah. amazing, and the the, the gravy it's beautiful. Comes, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it is so good, and that brining is like the best trick mm-hmm. ever. It's the the best trick ever. You talked about uh, tenderizing veal properly at that one Italian restaurant. How, what was the process for tenderizing veal? Because it can be um, kind of gr- veal can be very very tough depending on the meat, depending on the cut. Like, this is an Italian restaurant, so we're doing salt and bocas. We're doing um, technically a scallopini. Scallopini oh, okay. basically is the top round, um, which we slice, which we, we hand cut. Um, it's about a, I'd say, for a top, real top round, it'd probably be about a four-pound, five-pound average. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would slice it down, and then we would take, you know, our, our uh, plastic wrap and, and overlap it and make just pound it out with a meat tenderizer flat side and you don't want any of the the pits in there right, um, right. tenderize it um, and then upon pickup we would dredge it in some flour and throw it in our throw it in our pan oh okay you don't want you I want them whole pieces though some people get all their anger and frustrations out on this poor veal <laughs> and then there ended up being holes and rips it's no 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 yeah pound it but gently Gently, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but if you have, let's say, a, a, a veal chop, a beautiful French veal chop, you don't really want to tenderize that. That's perfect the way it is. You know, you cast iron skillet, sear it, let it rest in the window. Gotcha. That's so awesome. So moving forward a little bit, um, you're going to start up at Heidi's Jazz Club there in Cocoa Beach. Heidi's Jazz Club. It is in Cocoa Beach. I, I am. I do reside in Cocoa Beach. Um, it has been there for about 30 years. Um, very, very well-known jazz club. Um, just, just up the street from my previous um, employer, uh, which was Pompano Grill. 
Um, I did leave there recently um, after actually debuting a lot of new cool specials there mm. um, and where I really actually took my name into social media. Okay. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of my pictures um, are now a lot of my my dishes are on my Instagram um, at Chef Z. It's a C H E F S underscore Z. Um, Z you see all my Victor? pictures. Uh, Z as in um, Zoloft. Oh, Z as in Zoloft. Okay. Yes. C H E F F underscore Z at Chef Z. Yep. Chef Z. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, don't forget that underscore, though. Right. So you'll be able to see a lot of my pictures. You'll be able to see, you know, my sous vide tenderloin on there. And you can actually see how I've grown over, over the past, you know, couple of years of this is how I plated, and this is, you know, where I'm at now. You, you know, I've owned uh, part of a restaurant. Uh, let, let me back it up a little bit before I, before I go into Heidi's. Um, my wife and I decided to invest um, some – some money into this restaurant, which was um, in Indian Harbor Beach, and this was right after Trend Kitchen, where I learned how to sous vide and learned how to do all that stuff. Um, we put we put a good sum of money into it, and I was part owner. Um, but uh, it, it was with another Italian guy that had his other restaurant, um, and you know, stipulation said I had final say of everything that went out in the kitchen. So I did my I did my veal for him that was Italian. I, I salt and bocas and and you know piccatas that he wanted. Um, but I also wanted to take it to another level of, you know, getting my own lobster and, you know, making my own raviolis. And, you know, okay. I started doing these chocolate raviolis there, which chocolate raviolis are phenomenal. Um, it's actually chocolate pasta dough um, that I infuse, you know, with cocoa powder. Um, and then, you know, I'll do some mascarpone cheese, uh, some Merlot, strawberries. You know, possibilities are endless with the filling. Interesting. Um, so I, I owned part of that. It was a, it was a great restaurant, um, but it started being he wanted to kind of like make it a burn and turn type place. You know, instead of doing my fresh pastas, he wanted to do pre-bought made pastas. He wanted to do meatballs, but he didn't want them um, made in house. And I said, you know, this is the cost and you know the the, the difference between each meatball, and you're going to get a better quality. Right. And it, things didn't work out. It, it kind of fell through. Uh, you know, and. You know, I got all my money back, thank God, my wife and I did. Um, and, you know, we wanted to invest in something else. Um, but uh, nothing out here, nothing out here. Um, we're going to save it for, for New York when, when we decide to move out there. Gotcha. Um, so, like I said, I, moved, I went to Pompano Grill as the executive chef. Um, a very small restaurant, um, about 50 seats. Everything's local. Um, the fish is all local. You know, you got your black drum, you got your snappers, whether it's mutton, uh, red snapper you got your local black roopers um obviously the name is pompano grill so we had pompano whenever we could um very very small very intimate restaurant and that's where i decided to actually hone my skills and actually take things to another level um of you know creating these dishes creating you know my sous vide uh my sous vide lobster tail with homemade you know leek angel hair mm. uh, i decided to take you know carrots and, and turn them into powders with you know gastronomy with a tapioca maltodextrin um, and I started really taking things to another level of, of you know, pre presentation and of actually showing my, my creations to, to the world, to social media, to, you know, local people and say, hey, this is what I can do. This is what I can make. And I started doing a chef's table there, which, you know, started taking off of, hey, let the chef, why don't you come in, 
say this is my budget of whether it's seventy five, hundred, two hundred, two fifty. Right. Um, you know, do you know course meals? You know, five, six, seven courses, uh-huh. and all with wine pairings. Um, because I do know wines. Um, to I'm not no I'm not a sommelier or, or anything like that. But I am. If you give me a wine, right away my mind is working of what I can create to pair with this wine. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So this new place, Heidi's. Um, it has been there for about 30 years. I, I'm, I decided to take a step back of, of you know, being an executive chef and, and you know, all the labor and, and the food costs and all that. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to go there and I'm going to cook. I'm going to do what I do and I'm going to do it as best as I can. And that's where I'm at right now. So when you walk into Heidi's Jazz Club, give the mm-hmm. listeners an, an idea. When you walk in, what do you see? What are you going to hear? What are you going to smell? Give us a, a, an atmosphere vibe of the place when you walk in. So it's right in the heart of downtown Cocoa Beach, which downtown Cocoa Beach consists of probably a block. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a well-known corner. Um, A1A, it, it's, you know, it's right on the main strip. You walk in there, there's some sliding glass doors, and you either make a left or you make a right. To the left, you're going to find a very intimate, about 12-table restaurant. Um, it does have different, sound, different smells. Um, due to the fact of, you know, he's doing Hungarian food there. He's doing, you know, he's got like the paprikash, and then he's doing, you know, German food like the spetzels and, and, and schnitzels and all that. Um, and then you go to the, to the right, and that's where your jazz club is. Oh, okay. Um, so on any, you know, any given night, I, I want to say it's Wednesday, uh, Thursday through Saturday, um, they have different jazz players. You know, you might have a big band, um, kind of like, you know, New Orleans Southern style jazz uh, player, um, or you might, it, it, it all depends on, you know, the jazz, the, the person who's playing. Right, um, right. Sometimes you might have, you know, one single person. Sometimes you might have a full band. Um, and there is a cover charge, uh, depending on who's playing. It varies anywhere from 15 to 20 $25. Um, you sit there, you have some drinks, you can order full menu, full, full bar, full menu um, on the jazz side as well. Very nice. Very cool. Sounds like it's got a great vibe to it. It does. It does. It's got a great vibe, great atmosphere on the right side. It's, you know, the, the, the floors and the walls, they have these, you know, pictures of, you know, these different jazz players from like 20s, 30s, 40s. They have these little like alcove, if you want to call it that, booth where it's very intimate. Oh, okay, um, so yeah. let's say you want to take, you know, you're on a date and you want to listen to music and you want a couple of mar- dirty martinis. You could sit there and, and, you know, be kind of cozy and snug. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I've been to Cocoa Beach quite a few times, and I don't remember this place at all. You know where Coconuts is, right on A1A and Minuteman? Very Coconuts is very iconic. Um, is it right on the beach or no? It is right on the beach. Coconuts on the beach. Yes, I um, where that is. Where A1A goes one way and A1A goes the other way on separate sides. Yeah, I think it's so. right across. It's right across the street from Coconut. Oh, okay. We were... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like your dad. Um, I've supported NASA in for years, and we, I used to go out there from business trips all the time. And everybody wanted to go to mm-hmm. Coconuts because it was right on the beach. You can have a drink, yeah, and that kind of stuff. So everybody wanted to do, to do that. But I'm trying to place in my mind this Heidi's, and I I can't, but that's okay. But it's been years since mm-hmm. I've been back there as well. But it sounds like a really really cool, fun place. And it is. It is. We lived in um, Maryland for three years, and for one of my I can't remember if it was my birthday or my wife's birthday. I can't remember what it was. But one of the restaurants, it was like an American restaurant, had a chef's table as well. Mm-hmm. When you 
were talking about that it took me back. That is, for anybody listening who has never done it, they really need to take the opportunity and, and spend the money and go do a chef's table. It is the most fun. If you want to see how a, a professional kitchen operates, and aside from what you see on TV, because TV is never reality of what goes <laughs> on, it's, it's, the most, it's so much fun. And it's the same thing. It's the wines and the meals and prepared and stuff. It was, it was a great experience. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to, to get that implemented in someplace else. Maybe when you move up to New York, if that's what you guys want to do, you should do it there too. Cause it's, yeah, it's, definitely. It's well, I'm, I'm looking for a chalkboard menu. Oh, okay. Okay. In New York, you know, but, but like, like the, like you want to tell the listeners, you know, it doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be expensive. Uh-uh. No, you know, no, no, no. I, I've created chef's tables for, you know, $60 before per, a, a person, right. uh, you know, just, just say what you want. And, you know, I mean, if you want grade A foie, it's going to, it's going to cost you. But if you want to see how a chef really creates things on the fly for you, right? Exactly. you know, say, I like mushrooms, leeks, and carrots, but I don't like asparagus, Brussels sprouts, or foie gras, let's say. Right. A, a really, truly creative chef can come up with stuff for you on the fly or something. Yeah. It's, it was, it was awesome. And for us, it was our first time that we experienced bone marrow and it wasn't even on the menu, but they, he had it for a, a party that was going on. I think someone had reserved mm-hmm. one of their conference, one of their big rooms and there was like 20 or 25 diners. And the chef was like, have you guys ever had bone marrow? And we're like, no, but we love it. He goes, let me, let me get you some. And you know, 10 minutes later, there it was. So it was just an amazing experience. I just encourage anybody to, to do that because it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Not and I encourage everyone to try bone marrow. <laughs> <laughs> bone marrow. I, I do bone, my, my bone marrow, I do a little bit different. What do you do? It's, it's, it's not the essential bone marrow. So what I do is let's say I have a case of bone marrow um, that, that I get in. Um, I actually roast them off. I, I, take, them, I take them straight from, from their case and I roast them all off scrape the bones out right away, scrape the marrow out right away. Okay. Right away. So what I do is, you know, I have this just deli cup full of glorious fat. Um, <laughs> and what I'll do is, you know, I'll solidify it and I'll scrape the top off. Oh, so okay. I have this fat, um, you know, ready to go. So I'll take, you know, onion, I'll take, you know, garlic, shallots, rosemary, sage. Um, I'll saute that up a little bit. And what I'll do is I'll actually take some oxtail, um, oh, okay. some oxtail or, or, you know, some short rib, um, and I'll braise them off, you know, pre, pre getting the bone marrow and I'll braise them off, sous vide them off, depending on what I do. Um, and then I'll pull it and then I'll incorporate in that. And then I'll actually take my smoking gun. Thank you. Poly science. Once again, by the way, I'm not sponsored by poly science or anything. I know I've used, I've name dropped them a couple of times now. Um, <laughs> but I just believe in their product. I, I think they have great products. Um, they have the smoking gun, which I use quite a, quite a bit, um, and I'll actually take the Demi, my own Gloss Devion, reduce it down, um, actually take my smoking gun with my cherry wood um, chips, light it, and then actually smoke my Demi, and then I'll incorporate into that. Oh. And then upon that, I take my bone marrow, and then I'll restuff it into, upon pickup, you know, I get a bone marrow ticket in. Uh, my bones are clean. You know, I, I'm sure everyone knows Frenching. Um, where the bones are, are scraped clean, whether it's, you know, a lamb or a tomahawk or a ribeye. Frenching uh-huh. is when you take all those little, you know, all those little bits of fat and meat off the rib. Well, we'll actually clean our bones 
so they don't have those little pieces of meat hanging off when I present it to the guests. Oh, okay. Um, and then what I do is I take some gremolata, whether it's, you know, uh, truffle gremolata or, uh, you know, almond toasted. I did roasted chestnut gremolata for, uh, for Christmas time. Uh, I, I crust that on top with a little Parmesan cheese, a little bit of uh, lemon zest, some fresh herbs, toasted breadcrumbs, put that on there. And then I always like to serve with something, something sweet or vinegary to take that, to take that bite off the fat. Right. And the last time I did it, I did some um, ice wine compressed Turkish apricot. Oh, wow. Um, ice wine, it's those, it's, if people don't know what ice wine is, um, it's, it's basically when the grapes freeze, um, you pull them, and it makes really sweet, almost diabetic juice. Um, that's very sweet. Um, and then uh, compressing is, you know, you take your apricots or whatever fruit or, or vegetable you have, um, and you put your ice wine in there. Um, a little bit of vinegar, a little bit of acidity, and then you vacuum seal it. Don't sous vide it, just vacuum seal it. And it actually opens up the pores um, of, of the fruit or of, of the, the, the substance that's in there, and it actually infuses it. Oh, so wow. then you take it out, and you got this beautiful, you know, homemade focaccia with this beautiful, you know, fatty, delicious bone marrow, and then you take a little bit of that, and it's, it's all said and done. Wow. Sounds amazing. Yeah, and actually, um, you can see that on, on my Instagram too. And um, Chef Roll, Chef's Roll, um, actually picked up that and shared it. They shared that one. and They shared my foie gras. Um, okay. So it, you know that's how I'm getting my name out there. And you know, Pete, they have you know a couple hundred thousand followers. Right. Where right. you know I'm getting three, four thousand likes on my photo. Where I'm trying to pick up followers from that. Yeah. So social media is a crazy thing right now. Oh, it's yeah, it is crazy. It, and it's really I mean, look how we met. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, couple. I, I'm going to be cognizant of your time because it, it's it's your day off and you want to spend time with the family. So there's some questions that I'd like to. My hear. wife's at work. I'm all good. Oh, okay, okay, cool. And the kids are in school, probably. Yep. Right. Awesome, awesome. So. Other than a sharp knife, what kitchen tool can you not live with and why? I know you talked about the sous vide and, and your smoking gun. Um, you know, uh, my, my, my dishwasher. <laughs> and and I'm, not talking, I'm not talking about the machine. I'm not talking about the machine. I'm talking about the actual guy that's sitting there busting his butt to get my dishes and get all of our pans and everything clean. That's awesome. My, my dishwasher. Second move would be both front of the house and back of the house staff. I mean, it's, it's a very close. You know, because I couldn't do all these things without my staff. I couldn't do all these things without front of house pushing my, 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 you know, my specials and my food. But mainly, I couldn't do it without my dishwasher. That's awesome. You're the first person that's mentioned. A lot of chefs mention the team when it comes to, you know, running the restaurant and the success of mm -hmm. the restaurant itself. But nobody's ever mentioned those guys as part of the, the tool. And it's, it's kind of unspoken, or not unspoken, but it's, unrecognized how much everything has to go work together to make these restaurants successful. And I, I, mm -hmm. I, say, I say this in almost in every interview that I, that I do with you guys. It's why I created this podcast because I think people go to restaurants and they've heard from a friend or they've been there before and they know that the food is good, but they have no idea what it takes to make it, a good experience for you. Mm -hmm. And the chefs work 12, 13, 14 hours a day. The dishwashers are 
humping back there, making sure things are clean from a sanitary standpoint. And you got the front of the front of the house where people are being greeted with. It all has to work mm -hmm. so well, and it's like a fine-tuned machine when it works successfully. So it's not just a chef creating these wonderful dishes. It's a whole organization working together that provide a couple hours of pleasure for every diner that comes walking through the door. Mm-hmm. And I just exactly. Think and I, I actually think it even goes further back than that. Yeah. I think it goes to your purveyors and your, you know, and where you where you get your produce from and where you get your meats from and what's biting in the ocean and and even further than that, making sure your dish machine is being is sanitary, you know. Yeah. Getting wines in, tasting wines. It's, it's you know, guests come in and like, oh well, you know, I'm gonna have an you know an hour or two of and and just enjoy dinner. Well, it takes a lot more than just those two hours to you know prep and to make sure we have everything in to yeah. make sure it's good, you know, there's pars where you don't want to have a piece of fish sitting on your, on your shelf for four days, five days. Right. You, yeah. you, you need to know how much you, you, you need and how much. And, it, you know, something at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night, because we're closed Sunday, Monday, you know, if we're out of grouper, don't be mad. It's, it's, it's a good thing we're out of grouper. It's a Absolutely. good thing we're out of triple tail. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm glad you said something about the purveyors because <clears throat> that that's also a major important role. <clears throat> Excuse me. In this, in this whole team, if you will, that that pulls the stuff off. So I'm glad mm -hmm. you mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned those guys because that's important as well, for sure. It's it's very important. I mean, they they can make or break you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They sure can. They sure can. Because you, one chef told me you can't make good food or you can't you can't make bad food taste good. And what he no, meant was no. What he meant was if you're getting bad food from your purveyors, you can't, no matter what you do, you can't make it taste good. So it's important that, that you find good suppliers. To and, and it all depends. I mean, if you're, let's say, ordering a pound of basil and it doesn't come in and you need to make pesto, how are you going to do that? Right, right. Very true. Very true. Mm -hmm. If you had to choose three herbs or spices for the next year, what would they be? And salt and pepper don't count. Three herbs and spices. Herbs or? Well, I love, I, I love thyme. Okay. I love thyme. Um, that, that's, that's definitely got to be one. Because um, when, I, when, I, when I baste my fish um, in my butter when it's in the pan, oh, I wow. always throw a couple sprigs of thyme in there. Okay. Um, oh. Let's see. Let's see what else. Lemongrass. Absolutely hmm. love lemongrass. Um, lemongrass can be so versatile where you can actually put it, you can infuse, you know, meat, you can infuse fish. Um, and let's see the third one, third one. I would have to say, I would have to say juniper berries. Oh, interesting. Juniper berries because they have such a distinct flavor. Um, almost like a, almost like a gin. Like you're like, okay, well this, this tastes like this, you know, you can do, a lot of different things. People are like, well, it tastes like this, or like star anise. Star anise, juniper berries, somewhere in that realm oh, okay. of, of, you know, that kind of like piney taste. Uh -huh. um, you can do so many things with that. Oh, well, that's cool. That's, that's a first for that one. That's interesting. Can you, are those pretty um, available all year round? Um, yes, out here, I can pretty much get them all year round. 
Um, juniper berries, you know, you can get them in, you can get them pretty much anywhere. Lemongrass, yeah. And obviously thyme you can get. All the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was the best lesson your father ever taught you? Try everything once. Oh, interesting. My, my my father my father is the greatest man in my life. He has taught me everything that I that that I am that made me the man I am today. Minus the cooking, he built rockets. I cook, um, <laughs> but he comes in. He supports every restaurant. Um, he he's told me a lot of great ones. It's it's not just that one. It's you know being respectful to women um, is a, is a big thing. Um, you know I still open my the door for my wife whenever she gets in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, you know always kiss her goodnight. Always make sure I tell her I love her when I leave. Um, cause you never know when it's going to be, when, you know, I can leave the, the house today and it could be my last day. That's true. You know, God forbid, but it can happen. Very true. Um, he's taught me, you know, don't ever take anything for granted. Like you, someone's complaining when you have no shoes. So you met a man with no legs. Right. So he, he's, he's, he's very iconic to me. He's, he's everything to me. And he's taught me so many great things in life that I couldn't narrow it down to one, but those are the top things that come off my head. That's awesome. Do you have any siblings? Are you a... Lonely son, an only son. Um, actually, my stepmom, which is my mom, she has uh, a daughter, which oh, okay. is a little bit older than me. She's uh, 45, um, so that would be my stepsister, but she's great. You know, She lives in Merritt Island, which is probably 15, 20 minutes away from me. Oh, okay. Very cool, very cool. So I want to get to the challenge question, and this is a, it's a little catering type of a question, challenge question. You receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $500, about $20 a piece. And the menus to include two hors d'oeuvres, two entrees, and a dessert. So describe the menu you would create. Off the top of my head, yep. since we were talking about bone marrow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw bone marrow in there. All I'm going right. to throw bone marrow in there. Not it. necessarily with short ribs or not necessarily with you know, beef or anything, just a good bone marrow. Because, you know, bone marrow you can get for, you know, two, $2 $3 a pound and, you know, serve with some bread, serve with something acidic. You know, you could pickle some radishes that are cheap. Um, that'd be one of them. Okay. And I would do, I would actually do what I did. Um, I actually made a everything churro. Think of, think of a bagel. Oh, okay. But an everything, an everything bagel churro. Oh, okay. um, and I, and I cured uh, some salmon. And salmon, you know, you can cure some, you can have a, get a whole side of salmon for you know, thirty bucks out here in Florida because they're uh-huh. they're everywhere. Um, and I and I and I would do some either some smoked salmon or I would turn into a mousse, cure it. Um, you know, do like little little uh, you know, puff pastry, or you can put them on you know cucumber slices. Depending on if it's a bunch of women that I'm, I'm not trying to sound sexist or anything, but right. if it's a bunch of women that are having like a little cocktail party, uh-huh. I'm not going to throw bone marrow out there. I'll do something lighter. I'll do. You know, like the, the, the smoked salmon on like a little, you know, cucumber slice with a crispy caper on it and some fresh dill. Yeah. All right. It all depends on who I'm catering to. Um, and, and, you know, for entrees, uh, I, because I'm in Florida, some local fresh black drum. Uh, black drum's biting right now. Um, and, it, and, you know, believe it or not, it's, you know, 7 or $8 a pound. Wow. So, you know, you, because, because it's, you know, you're getting courses, it would be smaller portions. Of course. You know, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't give someone an eight-ounce portion when they have five courses. I've seen it happen. I've been to wine dinners and I've been to, you know, these, these restaurants where it's, you know, you have five, six courses, but they're full courses. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to do this? And I do it, but I feel horrible when I'm done. Afterwards, yeah, no doubt. So how would you prepare, um, so the, I would, how would you prepare the black drum? 
Ah, uh, pan-seared. Pan-seared. Oh, okay. A, a little, uh, I, what I do is I actually take my black pepper and I roast it off. Some chefs like to use white pepper um, on their fish just for the white and white. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and I would make, I would make a very simple sauce that actually accentuates, you know, actually, you know, plays off of the, the black drum. I'm not going to put an etouffee sauce on, on a black drum that's going to, you know, completely hide the beautifulness of, of that light flaky fish. Right. Um, you know, you, I would, you know, you can do anything from, you know, a simple burblanc. You know, I've, I just actually got done doing a peppercini burblanc. Um, so you take your, you take your acidity from the peppercinis and you incorporate that and very light sauce. You know, you could do a macadamia burblanc. Um, you could do something very light and, and, and because people are trying to watch what they're eating now, I, I would do something light. Um, you know, like a couscous quinoa mix with the fish. I don't oh, okay. necessarily like using potatoes with fish, uh-huh. um, just because it's it's it it, it, it kind it's kind of weird. Um, if if they want it, I mean, I'll be more than happy to serve it for them. But right. the whole potatoes and fish, it depends on, on on exactly what you're doing. Because I went to Boston a couple weeks ago, and had this beautiful dish that had potatoes in it with my fish, and it worked perfectly. Oh, interesting. It was it was a beautiful dish. So you can't always say no potatoes, but me personally, I wouldn't serve that with. Right. Gotcha. And um, if, if I'm catering a party, I always like to give a, a, a protein. Since I only have two, um, I, I would do the fish, and I would do a flat iron steak. Oh, okay. And I would make the flat iron steak. I would marinate it in lemongrass. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> lemongrass, some sriracha, um, some Coca-Cola, a little bit of brown sugar, and, and, you know, some acidity in there, some lime, some lemon. Um, and, you know, it would be tenderized. And, you know, grill it, slice it on a bias so you're not getting real grainy, real chewy, tough meat, uh-huh. and, you know, serve, serve it with some potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. What would you do for dessert? For dessert? Um, for dessert. Uh, I would, because of the price and because of, uh, of I've got to watch food costs, I would do a key lime pie. Okay. Key lime pie, just to keep, just to keep it simple, keep the food costs low, and make sure I make some money off of it. Oh, absolutely. And we're in, and we're in Florida. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and you have to have it, that's, I mean, you go to Florida. But a good key lime pie, it needs to have that little, that little twang to it, that, not, not overly sweet, you know, I like a good, nice, cr- crunchy crust, Yeah. Um, and then it has to give you that little bite on the back of your tongue. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, perfect, you, you survived the challenge question. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate uh, you joining me today. I got your Instagram uh, handle at chef underscore Z as in zebra. Where else can um, people find you on Facebook? People can find me on Facebook. Um, you know, uh, Chris Morales. Uh, my Facebook isn't as professional as my my Instagram. It, it, my Instagram it started out as chef Z C H E F S underscore Z. Um, the Z actually comes from my 350 Z. Um, it started out as you know trying to promote my car and get sponsors for my car. Um, and I ended up getting, I ended up getting a couple sponsors, you know, for my exhaust and, and whatnot. And I kind of kept that handle because it, it's very easy. It's very easy to, to, you know, to look at and to, to say, okay, well I put Chef Z on there. Um, you'll see a couple pictures of my car. My car is obviously being worked on once again, um, <laughs> trying, trying, trying to, you know, get more power out of the motor. I was at 512 horsepower and my wife's got a Z and hers is completely stock and hers runs perfectly fine. Uh, and mine has been in the shop in and out. So. 
but that's that's where the handle comes from. Is everyone's like, oh well, why why the Z? Well, gotcha. you'll see some pictures of my car on there and the motor rebuild, and that's where you get that from. Gotcha. Um, but that's gonna be the more professional thing. I actually shared a, a picture of the uh, of the anatomy of a chef and said, hey guys, you know, this is gonna be on my podcast today. Oh, cool. uh, you know, Thank feel you. free and and um, yeah, I couldn't tag you because um, I didn't I couldn't find you on Instagram, but I did go on uh, on on the web on you know I googled it and okay. I tagged it and said, all right, well, you know, this is my podcast and, you know, feel free to follow me, you know, and, and comment and, and, yeah. and look at my pictures and you'll, you'll see a lot of cool things and you'll see the bone marrow on there. You'll see, uh, the watermelon salad. You'll see, you know, the sous vide lobster tail. You'll see a lot of cool things on there. Oh, cool. Cool. And my Instagram is AOA chef actually. A- AOA chef. Yeah. AOA chef okay. is my Instagram. And this awesome. is, this is going to, see here this is going i got a schedule um probably late june is when this is going to be released okay so i will let i will definitely let you know and i've been kind of um hyping up the release the whole podcast is going to release in early april so okay i'm kind of hyping that up right now of course nice nice and how would i be able to listen to this podcast and 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 follow other chefs as well you'll be able to do it Either um, be able to subscribe on iTunes when it comes out in early April, and that would be the easiest way. And then it will be on the website, too. I just put a few up there now. Okay. So when I start releasing them all, then the show notes and everything will be on, on the website, which is anatomyofashef.com website. All right. And as things get closer to release date, I will, I will let you know and get you let you know that it's being released and then we can promote it accordingly. Awesome. Sound good? Sounds great. Cool. Christopher, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. Sure. Good luck at Heidi's Jazz Club, and I wish you much success. Thank you very much. Let me know when you're in Cocoa Beach. I'll take you to some restaurants. Oh, absolutely. I'll I'll plan a trip right now. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for your time. Thank you as well, Christopher, and have a great day. You too. Take care. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye.